Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. We've been talking about this, what, for the last three weeks, talking about capacity, saying you don't have a clue what your capacity is. Sometimes it's not until the demand is placed on you that you realize what is on the inside of you, and you need to start asking God, increase my Increase my capacity and let my faith put a demand on God's unlimited capacity. Because this is a year of no cap. There is no limit to what God can do. He wants to increase our capacity. So we're going to jump into this. Stand with me uh, as we honor the reading of God's word. It's the last time I'm going to ask you to stand. Now, as I'm preaching, you can feel free to stand periodically, not in an awkward way, but you know, if anything I'm saying you're feeling, you know you can stand up in the middle and just make what I call the you're preaching good face. Have you seen this face? It, it looks like the constipated face, but it's also the you're preaching good face. When somebody's preaching, you just stand. Come on, look like you smell something like. And then when it's for somebody you know that's sitting next to you, you just look at them like. That's what I was, that's what you was texting me about right there. So uh, you have permission to do that later, but right now we're just going to stand to read God's word. And I want you to go with me to Mark chapter two, Mark chapter two. And I want to look at verses one through 12, Mark chapter two, start at verse number one, we'll land at verse number 12. Who's double dipping and coming back to the 6 PM tonight? Who's double dipping? Already, come on. Mark chapter two, we'll start at verse number one. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. If you're not ready, you need some time, say, hold up. I heard that, hold up. Come on, brother. Matthew, then Mark. If you see in Ephesians, you went too far. If you in Genesis, you ain't been to church in a long time. Mark chapter 2, starting at verse number 1. Familiar passage of scripture, but I believe God's going to give us some deeper insight into it today. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. So they're at capacity. And he preached the word to them. And some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they said, you know what? It is what it is, homie. We tried to get you to Jesus, but the crowd is blocking the door. God opened some doors and he shut some doors. We may as well just go get something to eat. You're just going to have to live in this paralyzed position because obviously you can see that the crowd is blocking the entrance to the door. So that's the end. That what it says? No, thank God they didn't have that type of faith. Look at these radical, ridiculous, property-destroying dudes. It says they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. Woo. They said, we'll pay the fine. We'll get a citation later. We're more concerned about your miracle. Digging through the roof, and then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, that's interesting. I don't know. You could see faith. Our faith was invisible. But Jesus saw faith in what they did. And he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law, a.k.a. the haters, were sitting there thinking to themselves. This is amazing to me. They're not talking. They're thinking, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, not what they said, but what they were thinking. Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has, and I need you to say this word with everything you got. Somebody say authority. Come on, say it like you want to get on your neighbor's nerves. Say authority. Yeah, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. My 
goodness, that is some good scripture. Can anybody say amen to that? I'm telling you, sometimes I just want to read the scripture and just drop the mic because the scripture by itself is that's good. That's, that's one of them. But uh, I want to preach today, not long, maybe three and a half hours, using this, using this as a title, You Can't Do That. You can't do that. Look at your neighbor, I promise, for the last time, and just say, neighbor, guess what? You can't do that. Come on, look at your other neighbor, the one you ignored. Look at them right in their face. Come on, say, other neighbor, I got some authority, and I got a word for you. You can't do that. If you believe God's going to speak to you, give him some praise up in here. Give him some real praise at Gillies. It's our second time in the big room. Come on, it's packed in here at capacity. You can't do that. Let's pray a long prayer before we jump into this. God, have your way. Amen. You can't do that. Social Dallas fam, I think I'm going to cancel our family's Disney Plus subscription. I've been thinking about this. I'm going to cancel our Disney Plus subscription. I'm going to cancel it for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, you see Pastor Taylor's birthday is this week. Um, I'm getting older. I'm encroaching on 40. And I'm trying to be more fiscally responsible in this season of my life. And I don't think it's a good stewardship of my resources to be throwing Mickey Mouse $7.99 every single month. I think I'm going to cancel my Disney Plus subscription. Another reason I want to cancel it is because I also believe that Disney is subtly and low-key trying to undermine and usurp my authority as a father. I'm explaining. I've been tracking this for a while now. Have you noticed almost every major Disney movie kind of has within it this narrative. It has this plot where there's a father, there's a father who specifically looks at the child, no matter what the character is, and says, you can't do that. And then they disobey and do that. And now we got to sit in the theater for the next hour and a half to get them out of the that that the father told them not to do. It's almost in every Disney movie. I've noticed this, and I have evidence to substantiate my claims, okay? Exhibit number one, right here, right here, yes. You've seen this movie, The Lion King. The Lion King, great film, filmed in my father's home country of Nigeria. You've, you've seen this, you've seen this. Mufasa clearly lays out the jurisdiction of the kingdom to his son, Simba. Said, son, every place the light touches, that is our kingdom. This boy deliberately disobeys and goes past the light into the elephant graveyard, and that's why his daddy ends up dying. I'm going to say something I've never said before, but I'm going to say it in public. Scar was right. You killed your daddy. You did. You did. You did it, Simba. Ain't no need. And you crying. Oh, here's his carcass trying to lift up his body. Jumbo, dad, get up, get up. No, he could have been up if you would have obeyed and not gone to the elephant graveyard. I'm just getting started. Exhibit B. Yes, yes. Finding Nemo. The problem is in the title. Why are we finding Nemo? Because he's lost. Why is he lost? Because he didn't listen. Your daddy told you, don't go up to the edge. But no, you got real defiant with your little fan and got up there and hit it. And now we spend a whole hour and a half of the movie trying to find your disobedient self. Oh, I'm still going to go. Is this too much? Exhibit C. And by C, I mean S-E-A. This one is really problematic because I have daughters. King Triton, her daddy, the only senior citizen with a six-pack told this girl who's got a spirit of discontentment all you need is right here under the sea but no there's got to be more she had a whole song about it now you're losing your voice yeah you lost your voice because you made a choice and every choice has an invoice don't blame anybody but yourself your daddy says stay in the water makes me so mad this next one exhibit yeah, let's go to the next exhibit That's, I'm going to be here a while yes this one 
This was problematic for me too because I have daughters. Princess Jasmine. Princess Jasmine. Some of y'all gonna be mad about this because you think it's a beautiful love story. No, 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 no. Her daddy, the Sultan, said, "Don't marry that dude. Don't make. We get you another prince. Don't marry him. What does he bring to the table? Why are we celebrating this whole new world? Homeboy brought an IKEA rug and a monkey to the table." He is the beneficiary of the relationship. She didn't get anything out of this. Got problems with it, that's enough. Should I stop? No, one more, exhibit E. And by E, I mean Elsa. Yes, her daddy told her, conceal it. Don't feel it. (laughs) Keep them gloves on your hands. No, she disobeyed and now Arendelle is below zero. Just, uh, I think Disney is trying to usurp and undermine my authority as a dad. And I know I'm being funny, being kind of silly, but I think Disney knows what we know. And that is, we don't like to be told no. We don't like when people tell us, you can't do that. There's something on the inside of us, I believe since the fall of man, it is at our core, this ideology that we know the best way. We know our own way. Proverbs even says that the ways of a person seem right to them, but God always weighs the motives. We don't like people to tell us what to do. At our core, whenever somebody says, you can't do that, we look at them like, who are you to tell me what I can do? Come on, be honest. Have you ever had somebody tell you you can't do that and that you looked at them and nothing externally showed you that they had any type of authority? Have you ever like, like, you can't park there and they ain't got on a vest or a badge or anything like what? What do you, you, I can't park there? Yeah, do you work here in the parking lot? No, okay, all right, beep, beep, bye. Who are you to tell me? We, We don't like it. It is at our core, our DNA, inherited from our parents, Adam and Eve. We rebel against this thing called authority. We have an agitation, even an aversion to authority. It is so deep in our core that I have actually convinced my kids to do something I want them to do by telling them they can't do it. Literally, I've looked at them, you better not sit in that chair the whole time that we at this dinner. You better not eat those vegetables. Don't you touch them. And they will start to do it because in our core is this aversion to authority. You can talk to anybody right now that is teetering with their faith and questioning whether they should surrender their life to Jesus. If you start to talk to them, you get to the core of it, I promise you within the conversation, you will hear this ideology of, what am I gonna have to give up? Like, I I, I love the Jesus stuff, but I'm like, what what am I gonna have to stop doing? Like, 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 what can I keep doing and still live a life of faith? Where does that come from? It comes from the notion that I am my own God, and I know the way that is best for me. We hate authority. We can't stand authority. Now we like God's power. We love his power to fix problems in our lives, but we don't like his authority to rule over our life. Oh, you'll see this throughout the gospels. In fact, you can see it even in life. I've yet to meet the person, it's an oddity, to see somebody that won the lottery, just got their spouse that they've been looking for their whole life, got a brand new ride, their dream house, and then they come to church the next Sunday. (laughs) A lot of times we come to Jesus when we have a problem, when we have an issue. When we have a problem that we can't fix, our money can't fix, our credit score can't fix, our friends can't fix, most of us, our entry point into who Jesus is is when we have a problem or when we have an issue. Why? Because we're saying, God, I need your power to fix this problem. We want his power to fix our problem, but we don't want his authority to rule in our lives. And that's why some people will come and earnestly seek God to fix the problem. Like, I don't want you to rule my life. I just want you to fix this thing that I can't fix. Problem is not just today. It was even in the days of Jesus. That's why every place Jesus showed up, there was always a crowd. There was always a crowd because the crowd always came with a problem. They came with some issues and they were like, hey, if I can just get to him, I can't see, but if I get to him, I know I'm going to get my sight. I can't walk, but I get to him, I know I'm going to walk again. They would crowd around Jesus to get the problem fixed. Isn't it crazy 
that there were so many crowds that followed Jesus that wanted his power, but there was only 12 that came under his authority. There was only 12 who said, I'm not just here for the man that does the miracles. I'm here for the man who rules and reigns my life. They walked with him. When he said, get up, they got off. When he said, we're stopping here, they stopped there. When he said, go to the other side and a storm broke out, they were on the other side in the middle of the boat talking about, why did you bring us out here? Every single aspect of their day and their life was ruled and reigned by him. Because they said, God, I don't just want your power. I want your authority to reign over my life. I want somebody to just say authority. Come on, look at your neighbor and wake them up and say authority. Come on, wake up your other neighbor and say authority. Authority. Authority is intriguing. I've been thinking about this all this week because there's a difference between power and authority. Huge difference. Never confuse the two. Sometimes they can have the same effect, but there's a vast difference between power and authority. Like, power has to be loud. Authority doesn't have to be loud. Authority can be quiet. As a matter of fact, you can have power but not have authority. But if you have authority, you're always going to have the power. Authority can look at a hurricane and be chilling and talking about peace. Be still. That is authority. There's a difference between power and authority. What I love about Jesus is he didn't just have power, he had authority. He walked in authority. There's a difference between power and authority. Your God has authority. I was watching this movie not too long ago, and they had arrested this cat because he was impersonating an officer. He was impersonating an officer. And they're coming to incriminate him and ask him all these questions. And they pulled out his fake badge that he was using. And the FBI agent was saying, what's with the badge? What's with the badge? Why, why don't you get a gun? And he said, any idiot can get a gun. He said, but when you pull out this badge, it makes you feel like the entire army of the United States is coming behind you. He said, that's why I use the badge and not the gun because it represents authority. Your God is a God of authority. And if you ever want to tap into the unlimited capacity of God, hear me, your faith has got to connect to his authority. Many people miss out on the unlimited capacity of God because they don't understand he has not just power, but he has authority. And the moment that your faith can connect to his authority, you will open up your eyes and see the unlimited possibilities of what God can do in you and through you. Come on, do you know your Bible? Do you remember a woman who pressed her way through a crowd one day and she touched the hem of his garment? She had the nerve to say, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'm going to be made whole. She understood his authority and because she understood his authority, it unlocked the power of a God who even his clothes could heal you. Who knew that his clothes could heal? This woman did because she said he's got all power and he's got all authority. Do you remember a soldier in the Bible who rolled up on Jesus one day and said, my servant is sick, but Jesus, you don't even need to come to the house because I'm a man in authority. And when I tell one of my soldiers to go do something, I don't go follow them to see if they did it. I just give the command and they do it. And he came up to Jesus and had this mindset that if it works for me and my authority, it's got to work for this man who is God in flesh and his authority. So he said, don't even come to my house, Jesus. Just speak the word. And for the first time ever, somebody got healed without Jesus ever being in the proximity of that person. Because when you understand God's authority, he will do things that you've never seen before because you know that the true power is not in the White House, it's not in your boss, it's not in who has on the uniform. The one that true has the true authority is Jesus. Woo! Preach, Robert. Authority. There's a difference between power and authority. Somebody say authority. authority. Woo! I'm glad football season is back. Come on, Cowboys. We're going to win this year. I gotta declare it every year. 
I love watching football because you see power and you see authority. You watch a game, you see these dudes, biggest humans you ever seen in your life. Biceps, triceps, calf bigger than your whole body. Power, power is impressive. But you gotta look for the authority on the field. Guess who has the authority? Not the dude with the shoulder pads and the big biceps and triceps. The one with the authority is the dude, pants hiked up to here, got a whistle, a hat, some of them got a gut, ain't worked out in six months. Don't look like they got anything, but got the authority in their stripes. They have some authority. So if one of those big players gets out of line, even though they couldn't even fight that player on the street, even though they don't have the size to come up against that football player, because they have been given the authority, they have the power, they don't even gotta speak. They can just pull out a flag and go like that and get them off of the field, not because they're big or have power, but because they have Oh, see, if you caught it, you would shout. I'm so thankful that because of Jesus, I have authority. So yes, I might be looking at a situation that's bigger than me, that's intimidating me, but because I have authority, because of what Jesus did on the cross, I can look at those situations and command that they be removed because of authority. The very incarnation, God becoming flesh, showed authority. Because God already set up this world. As soon as he gave Adam and Eve authority to rule over everything in the earth, and the minute they gave up that authority through their disobedience, God had already set up the jurisdiction for how this earth should work. He said, you have to have a human body to have authority. So he goes, I cannot redeem them from heaven. As much as I love them, I can't redeem them from heaven. He had to come down from heaven to earth, put on human skin, and after he died on the cross and got up from the grave, then he declares, all authority has been given to me. Why has it been given to you now? Because I came down and put on human skin, and because I gave humans authority in the earth, I had to become them to get the jurisdiction to have authority. Your God has all power, but he also has authority. That is the tension in my text today and really throughout the Bible. Jesus kept running into these scribes and these Pharisees who were real good at the law, but they didn't understand his. And they kept running into conflict with Jesus because they could not comprehend his authority. And it starts right here in Mark chapter 2. Jesus, he's been traveling. He's been preaching. And the Bible says he gets to a house, a certain house. Historians believe it's Peter's house. And when Jesus gets to this house, I love it. I love it. All Jesus does is he sits down to chillax in this house. And as he's sitting down to rest in the house, all of a sudden throughout the entire region, people start going, Psst, hey, 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 did you hear? Did you hear? He's here. Hey, girl, I couldn't miss that hair. I saw him. He is here. And before you know it, it is spread throughout the entire region that Jesus is in Peter's house. And I love it because I can see them trickling in one by one. And before you know it, the entire house is jam-packed with people because his presence sat down to rest in that house. Peter did not want people over his house. He just had Jesus at his house. And because the presence of Jesus was in his house, then the people came. Peter did not go out say, hey, y'all come over. I'm having a fish fry. I really want y'all to come over. I'm trying to have the biggest party that they've ever seen in Capernaum. He didn't start doing music videos, none of that. He just said, Jesus, come over. And because Jesus' presence was in the house, people heard that his presence was there and they came to where his presence was. Come on, this is the power of the church. How many of you know if the church could ever understand that what's really going to draw people is not our marketing, it's not our media and I'm for all of it but you better have some presence in the place with the marketing with the lights his presence has got to be there oh thank God that his presence caused the crowd to show up 
That's all it took was for his presence to cause people to be drawn from absolutely everywhere. And I can see them standing, breaking all kinds of social distancing protocols. But they said it's worth it because we need to listen to Jesus. And they are packed in this house. And the Bible says that Jesus doesn't do a miracle. He doesn't put on a show. Although that's probably what a lot of them came to see. The Bible says that Jesus just preached the word to them. He preached the word. Somebody say the word. I love hearing that Jesus preached the word because I love listening to preachers. I love it. I love it. I love listening to all kinds of preachers. I listen to preachers all the time. I love listening to good preaching. I'm talking about good preaching. In fact, here's how mature I've gotten. I don't just listen to a particular preaching style. I listen to all kinds of preaching styles. All kinds. Of, I, I get something out of all of it. I like calm preachers that just stay in one spot and they just sit on the stool and say, hey, you know he loves you. He's for you. Never raise their voice. Come on. Let us pray. I love all of it. I love calm preachers. I love preachers that get excited while they're preaching. And I'm telling you, they hoop and they tune up and they got a Hammond B3 behind them and they ain't sitting on no stool. If there's a stool, it's an illustration that's blocking them from getting a breakthrough. And the stool will be right there and they say, hey, Lord, that stool is the only thing that's stopping me from the promise of God. And I'm not scared to look like a fool and kick this stool to say devil back up, back up, back up I mean I like all of it like all of it like all kinds of preaching styles when I was reading this text it made me wonder what did Jesus preach like don't you just wish come on don't you just wish as you were reading the scripture you could like push play and a little pop-up would come up, and you could at least get his voice. Like, for real, how did he preach? Was he funny? Was he boring? Was he excited? How did he preach? I'm a communicator, so I wanted to know this. It's interesting, the Bible actually only gives us about two scriptures as to how Jesus communicated and preached. Matthew 13, 34, it says this. It says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. A parable is a story. It's a story that hidden within it is a transcendent truth about the kingdom of God hidden within the simplicity of a story that's using earthly realities. Every time Jesus preached, he would tell a story. He was a storyteller. And the reason he would tell a simple story and he would hide the kingdom of God in that simple story because he wanted to see would you be relentless enough to figure out what the meaning of that story was. He wanted to see would you seek him to get a deeper understanding of what he was talking about. Oh, he could tell a story. He wasn't just a good storyteller. Another thing that Mark says in Mark chapter 1, verse 22, it says that Jesus spoke as one who had authority. That they were amazed at his teaching because every time he preached, he preached as one who had authority. That means he preached, and when he preached, they said it's something different about when he preaches and the teachers of the law preach, he preaches as one who has authority. And so he's preaching in this house this day. And as he's preaching, down the road, some friends are coming, four of them, with a paralyzed friend of theirs. Now here's what I believe about Jesus preaching. I believe that yes, he spoke with authority, and yes, he told some good stories, but I think Jesus used interruptions as illustrations. I think he used interruptions as illustrations. I think because he is God and he is sovereign and he knows everything, that there would be scenarios and situations that were going on that people thought were just happening, but they were actually an illustration to his message. I think one of them happened in John chapter number eight. John chapter 8, I believe it is, he's in the temple teaching. And I think he had to be teaching, I don't know, this is my guess. I think he had to be teaching on the fact that he is the fulfillment of both grace and truth. 
that he is grace and truth in one body. And while he's preaching on being grace and truth, all of a sudden they bust up into the temple with a woman who was caught in adultery. They dragged the girl out the bed, threw her in the middle of the service and said, Jesus, what you going to do about it? And the crowd was like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe it. And Jesus is going, oh my goodness, I can, because this is a setup to show you that I am both grace and truth. And I'm going to use this whole scenario to show you that I am a God that although I uphold the law, I still have grace for people who have messed up. And me showing grace does not dismiss the standard of the law. And you think this was an interruption. It's actually an illustration for me to show you who I am. Woo! I think he did it. I think he did it all throughout scripture, using scenarios and situations and people's lives as an illustration. It wasn't an interruption. So I don't know what he was preaching in the house that day, but I have this gut feeling that he could have been preaching like on the power of tenacity, on the power of not giving up. And while he's preaching on that, all outside are four friends who are coming up to a house and they look at the house and they see that it's crowded and that there's not even room outside the door and they don't do what most of us would have done. Most of us would have looked at the crowd, looked at the door that's blocked, and looked at dude and said, hey man, we tried. Look, come on, get up. You see? It's a packed house. We, we can't get in. We tried. You want to go get something to eat? Want to go somewhere else? That's what we would have done. But what did Jesus say later in the text? It says he saw their faith. He saw their faith. When did he see their faith? Did he see their faith after they dug the hole in the roof? No, 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 no. I think he saw their faith when they were outside and refused to give up and said, just because the crowd is in front of the door, they are not on the roof. I think he saw their faith when they walked up to a crowded house and saw the crowd in front of the door and said, the crowd in front of the door is not a sign that I'm supposed to leave. It's a sign that we got to find another way because I am more committed to you getting a breakthrough than I am committed to finding an excuse for why it won't work. He saw their faith. Not when they started digging. No, he saw their faith when they started analyzing the house, saying, how are we going to get up here? Which side you going to carry? You going to go up the left or go up the right? Because that's what faith is. Faith is not passive. Faith is active. Faith does not walk away just because there's people in front of the door. Faith says, I will find another way. And if if I gotta climb up the stairs, if I gotta get a rope, if I gotta keep digging, I'll do whatever I have to do to get you into the presence of a God that doesn't just have power, but he's got authority. I wish somebody would give God some praise if you knew that there is power in active faith. Active faith. Not passive faith. This is why some people don't reach their full capacity or tap into the capacity of God. You know why? Because you concluded that the crowd in front of the door was a sign to walk away. You concluded that the block in front of you was God saying the healing must not be for you. And what I'm asking you today is could it be possible that the crowd in front of the door is not a sign for you to walk away and give up? but a sign for you to get relentless and ruthless enough to say, I will tear the roof off. I will do whatever it takes. I've got to move from passive faith to active faith. Oh, you want to start tapping into God's capacity? Get active with your faith instead of passive. Don't just sit back and say, well, that's what, the, that's what the doctor said. I guess that's what it is. I'm not saying deny the reality. I'm saying you better get on your knees and start crying out to God and saying, God, I know that's what the doctor said, but I know you're a healer. I know your word is true, so I'm going to keep pressing and I'm going to keep praying. And God, if you don't do it in 24 hours, I'm still here. I'm still praying. I'm still seeking. Oh, God, give us some believers who aren't so quick to walk away. The crowd in front of the door is not a sign to Quit, it's a sign to climb and start digging. Yeah. 
I knew I wasn't gonna get a whole lot of amens. I'm cool. I'm very secure because it feels better to your mind and your heart. Just say we tried. We gave it our best shot. You're in front of the door. You see, you see, come on, let me, you see. We gave it our best. Let's walk away. When all throughout your Bible, you hear your God saying things like knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. Ask and it'll happen. Nothing about those words are passive. Problem with us is we Forget it then. He said, knock and the door will be open. I try. No. You ever seen somebody, you saw somebody in the house and you really need to talk to them? And like, and you just said, nah, I see you in there, Lisa. Open. <laughs> Relentless. Some of you give up too quick. You give up too soon. No wonder you haven't seen the miracle. No wonder. Now, it is not to say there are some things that are closed doors. It is not to say that we exercise our faith to manipulate God. He's not a genie. But what I want to attack today is this notion that just because the crowd is in front of the door, that means you're supposed to walk away. What if the crowd in front of the door is a sign to find another way? He saw their faith. He saw it. He saw it. Not when they started digging. He saw it when they started walking around the perimeter of the house. <laughs> Analyzing it, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, your right arm weak, so you're going to get on this side real quick. Come on. He, started, he saw it. He saw them climbing up. All of that was faith. All of that was faith. Digging through a, all of that was faith. They had no guarantee he was going to heal them. They said, we better try. Stop walking away because the crowd was in front of the door. I've seen it my whole life. I've seen people in church that have uh, what I call PTFD, post-traumatic faith disorder. You ever met somebody with PTFD? They're real salty, especially when you're believing for a miracle. Yeah, I ain't, I ain't prayed for that before, but yeah, keep going. Oh, you're worshiping? Try that one too, yeah. Didn't work and you walked away because you thought your faith didn't do anything. But understand, God is pleased with your faith. And even if what you were believing for didn't manifest, just having the faith to believe, you are a believer just having the faith. I promise you it did something for you. It'll teach you how to pray for somebody. It'll teach you how to press through and worship. And so they said, we got to find another way. And I love it because Jesus is in the house and he's preaching. You know, when you're preaching, you got to keep attention. All of a sudden, they're listening to the greatest orator ever preach. In the middle of the sermon, they get distracted. They're going, yo, is somebody on the roof? They're trying to pay attention to Jesus' sermon. Before you know it, can you imagine debris starts falling in the middle of this house and it's getting in people. Oh no, in my hair, what is it? And before you know, a hole starts appearing in the roof and as it keeps coming in, I mean, this sermon is shot, whatever he's preaching on. Everybody is looking at what? Is, is this the end? What is happening? And then they start seeing some hands just coming through and all of a sudden some feet, just feet, big feet, just come through on a little pallet coming all the way down through the roof. Jesus has lost the whole room. And they're thinking, ooh, how's he going to get out of this? This is an interruption. Jesus is like, no, nah, this is an illustration. Yeah. Told you I was preaching about tenacity. You're about to see him. And all of a sudden, they lower this dude all the way at the feet of Jesus. And I think the moment he hit the ground, the whole room went quiet. And everybody started thinking. How's the rabbi going to handle this? Some people are thinking, oh, he about to be mad that he just messed up his sermon. 
Bible said it was Peter's house. You know, Peter had a cussing problem. So you know what he was thinking? I know these did not come up in here and mess up my room. I wonder what they were thinking. I wonder what the paralyzed man was thinking. I wonder what he was thinking. Because it's, it's something to have a liability. We all have liabilities. Things that keep us stuck. This man did not have a wheelchair. This man did not have a hover round. Every day of his life, when he wanted to go somewhere, somebody had to pick him up and take him. And here's the thing about having a liability. That was the only thing that didn't work in this dude's life. Come on. His arms worked, heart beating, he could have had good teeth, great personality. But all those things are affected by one thing that doesn't work and that you're forced to look at every day. Can we be real in here? Does anybody know what it's like to have a liability in your life that you are forced to look at every single day? And in spite of all the other things that are working in your life, for whatever reason, you keep focusing on the thing that's not working. And now your liability has created a process of thinking that this man had to have because it was throughout that culture. Throughout that culture, they believed that if you had a sickness or if you had some type of paralysis, it was because you did something. That's what they thought. That if you had a sickness, you must have sinned. It was your fault. Isn't it John chapter 9? Remember the blind dude? And Jesus and disciples roll up on the blind guy, and disciples, the, the, the church staff members, ask this stupid question. They say, Oh, Jesus, who sinned? Him or his parents for him to be born blind? And Jesus is like, Neither. But that was the ideology of the day. That if you are suffering, it's because you sinned. If you have the disease, it's your fault. So for years, this man lived with the belief that the reason I have no mobility in my legs is because I made the mistake. I must have done something. His mind had to be riddled with trying to figure out what did I do to bring this on me? And can I just speak to that? Because that ideology is still in the earth today. There are some people who think that if you didn't sin, you wouldn't have got the cancer. And if you didn't go through this, you would, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Every sickness or suffering you're dealing with is not because you did something. We live in a broken world. If you want to blame somebody, blame Adam and Eve who disobeyed in the garden because they didn't want to come under God's authority and that's why our world is broken. But don't buy into the lie that because you sinned, you've got the suffering. Now, sometimes that is the case. Let me just be balanced. <laughs> sometimes your suffering is a direct result of a decision that you made, but that was not the case with this man. And so he's thinking, as he's been lowered in the presence of Jesus, this is my fault. I don't know what he's gonna say. I really wanna get up and walk. And what does Jesus say to him? The first thing he says is, son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. In other words, I know your entire life you've been blaming yourself, thinking that your paralysis was a direct result of something you did in your sin. But I'm standing here before you to tell you that your sins are forgiven. Worship team, join me. How many of you know the miracle started when Jesus declared those words? As soon as Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, the miracle manifested. Don't reduce this miracle to Jesus saying, get up and walk. The miracle is in the fact that he looked at this man and said, son, your sins are forgiven. Because the greatest miracle you can ever experience is the miracle of knowing that you are forgiven. The greatest miracle 
that the world is looking for, even if they don't know to look for it, is to know that your sins have been taken care of. Your sins are forgiven. You don't have to walk with the guilt or the shame. Son, your sins are forgiven. And I think when he said that, somebody in the crowd had to be thinking, really, Jesus? Really? This dude has come through the roof, and you're not going to tell him to get up and walk? Come on, some great miracle worker you are. Hello? You don't see the obvious issue? Anybody care about his sins? Look at his legs. Thought you was the Messiah. You can't see that? But isn't it funny how humanity doesn't know what our problem is? We don't. We don't know our deepest need. It's the equivalent of going to the doctor, saying, doctor, I got a cough, been coughing bad. And the doctor runs some tests. He comes in you, to you with the tragic news. He says, hey, the cough is a symptom of cancer. We're going to have to do chemo. We're going to have to treat this. And you look at the doctor and say, hold up. I didn't come here for all that. I came here for the cough. Just fix the cough. He's like, no, the cough is just a symptom of something more detrimental. No, I'm not trying to hear that. Fix the cough. You got some cough drops? Fix the cough. How I many know he's got to deal with the cancer, not just the cough? Hear me, sin is the cancer. And you can have all kinds of other symptoms. And many of us want Jesus to treat the symptoms when he's trying to go deeper and treat the sin that's beneath it so that you can be, hear me, whole. Says your sins are forgiven. And when he said that, the scribes, the religious leaders, I make that voice to make fun of them, but they weren't bad people. They were actually good people. They were good in the sense of they were watching Jesus to make sure that he wasn't deceiving people. They said, this man talking about he's the son of the living God. Let's come check him out make sure he's not a heretic. Because their job was to guard the word, the written word. That was their job. They were the guarders of the word. They would watch and they would guard. They would look over to make sure that the word was being upheld. They, they were like a covering for the word. They were almost like a roof. A roof. That's what the teachers and scribes were. They were a roof because it was their job to hover over and make sure that the word, word was being upheld. They were a roof. And how many know a roof is good? You need a roof. A roof is great for covering. A roof is great for protection. But a roof becomes a problem if the roof is the only access point for somebody to get a breakthrough, the only time the roof that covers you and protects you now becomes a problem is when that roof is the only access point for somebody to get the breakthrough that they needed. And although they were a roof to cover and protect, they became another kind of roof. They became this religious opposition of faith because they could not believe that he was the son of the living God. So I'm telling you, the power of that text was it was not just that these four friends tore the roof off to get that man in. How many know Jesus was trying to tear the roof off these religious people who didn't know that he was the son of the living God, that he had all power and authority, and he was trying to get their minds opened up to see that I have unlimited capacity, that I can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you may ask or think. How many know if God could just tear the roof of your mentality. He can do the thing in your life that you've never seen before, but he's got to tear a hole in old thinking. He's got to tear a hole from the pain of your past. He's got to tear a hole in negative thinking. He wasn't just trying to get to that man. He was trying to get in the minds of those religious scribes as soon as he said your sins are forgiven 
They said you're blaspheming. Only God can do that. Who do you think he was? He was God. So look at how gangster he does the miracle. He said, if you don't believe that when I speak and say you're forgiven, it works, well then let me show you that all I gotta do is speak and say get up and walk. And if you see me make this man get up and walk, you gotta know that the same word that produced the forgiveness is the same word that can produce the healing. Oh, I've already done a miracle just by saying his sins are forgiven. But if you don't believe the word since you can't see forgiveness, let me show you the thing you can see. He just healed that man's legs to provide evidence to substantiate that when I speak something, it's got to come to pass. So he looked at the man and said, I'll tell you so that you may know that I've got all authority. Get up and walk. I spoke your forgiveness. Now I'm speaking your healing because I've got the authority to speak something and it's gotta come to pass. I need somebody to get up on your feet and give God the best praise that you got. Come on social, open up your mouth and give him some praise in this place today. If you know your God's got all power and all authority. I'm done. I'm done. Somebody come up here. Uh, uh, Nate, Nate, I'm asking my brother, come up here real quick. My bad. Come up here real quick. Because you got to see it. Can you come up here on stage? Yeah. I'm sorry. Y'all ready to go home? Because you got to see it. Would you just get on the floor real quick? Just lay down. He's like, why are you embarrassing me? I just, this just came to me. I got to be obedient. You got to see it only said get up and walk and take your mat to give evidence to the fact that when I speak a word it's done you can't see forgiveness you can't see it when I said he was forgiven he was forgiven so since you couldn't see it let me deal with the thing you can see and speak another word now watch it he says, get up, take your mat, and walk. That's all he says. He doesn't tell people around him to help him up. He doesn't come up to him and start giving him a massage and say, now you know you're the redeemed of the Lord. Now you're forgiven. No. He does the second miracle the same way he did the first. He just spoke it. You're forgiven? Get up and walk. When he said get up and walk, immediately his legs were healed. But how do you know? He still has to do his part. He could have laid there all day healed. It's not until you walk in what was spoken. It's not until you do your part to walk in what was declared that you'll see it. Let's apply it to forgiveness. I'm telling you, he's already forgiven you. Why are you still laying in shame? Why are you still laying in condemnation? Why are you still beating yourself up for what you did last year and what you did? Why are you still laying in it? You are forgiven and get up and walk. But just because I spoke it, let me not help you. You're going to have to do it yourself. You're going to have to walk in it. You're going to have to walk in some authority even if I already spoke it. people I see in church whose capacity has been capped because they're still laying in the shame and the condemnation that they've already been forgiven for. And you 
were waiting on Jesus to come pick you up. He carries your burdens, but there's some things you're going to have to get up and walk in. It's already been declared. Just walk that way. He was healed when I said it, but he's got to walk in it. Now watch this walk. Let me show you how to do the walk. Because although I'm forgiven, I'm not walking with this man's shoe. Do whatever I want. <laughs> no. Yes, I'm walking. But what do you tell me to carry? My mat. The mat lets me live in the tension of knowing, yes, I'm forgiven. I am redeemed. I am whole. But I don't ever want to forget because I know how I am. I can get back down on the ground in the dirt real quick. I need my mat to remind me of the goodness of, I need my mat to, to know that I should have lost my mind. I need my mat to know that I shouldn't be here. I should have been in jail. I should have been in an insane asylum. I should, oh, I should have lost my mind. So I walk thankful that he healed me and quick to remember that if it had not been for his grace in my life if it had not been from him calling me out I would still be on the ground I came to give somebody a word because the enemy is telling you you can't walk in your forgiveness You've been hearing him in your ear saying, you can do that. And I'm telling you to get the same authority that your Savior has and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Stop letting the enemy tell you what you cannot do. You can do what he's telling you you can't do. You can rip off the roof if you want to. You can. that'll keep you down is the enemy in your ear saying you can so I'm going to ask every head be bowed all eyes closed today I'm talking to somebody today who has been laying in the guilt and laying in the shame and the enemy has been telling you you can't do that talking to somebody who has post-traumatic faith disorder and you believed before but now you don't want to believe again I'm talking to somebody who's standing in front of a door that has a crowd in front of it and you're about to walk away instead of finding another way faith is rebellion in the right direction we all have within us that attitude when somebody says you can't do that oh yes I can start using that to step into what God has for you start looking at the devil and say who are you to tell me I can't do that who are you to tell me I have to keep laying in this shame so heads bowed and eyes closed today if that's you and be so honest to say Pastor Robert this word is for me I I need to reject that voice that keeps telling me I can't do that. Yes, you would you just lift up your hand today as a sign to say, Lord, this is for me. This is for me. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Just lift it up. You can put it right back down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Talk to somebody today who needs to come home and surrender your life to Jesus. Sin has left you paralyzed. God saying today, wants to do the deep work I know you're believing for a miracle I know there's something you want him to do that his power has to override but the first thing he said was son your sins are forgiven he's got to get to the root to the core he's got to be not a part of your life the head of your life the authority as you today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus he's not the authority but today you say Lord you you have all authority 
you got to walk. I don't care who you have to say excuse me to. This is your day. This is your moment. This is between you and God. He's saying, come on, come on, come on, come on. You can do that. Don't live with the lie. Don't live with that limit. You can. Can. You can. Who told you you can't do that? Who told you you have to keep laying in that shame? Who told you that you can't step into the purpose of God? Who told you you can't have a healthy relationship? Who told you that you can't get good sleep at night? Who told you that you have to stay addicted? Who told you that you have to keep self-medicating? Who told you that? We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.